You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Grayson Charette. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Grayson. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm about 27 years old. I live up here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and I think the way that you and I connected was um, I own a food truck up here that specializes in falafel. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the product at all, but it's, it's kind of like a, a Mediterranean uh, street food. And um, so we, you know, I moved up here about one year ago, been running this food truck, and it's part of a, a larger company, um, Taza, T-A-Z-A, which is a company that started about five years ago in Georgia at the University of Georgia. Um, and basically what we do is we produce falafel on a, a manufacturing level. And we, um, you know, we sell it all over the U.S. to chefs uh, in, in restaurants, hotels, universities. And... Um, the food truck is kind of an extension of that. Uh, I tell people if go do, you, go ahead, do, you, do you own the food truck or do you are one of the chefs on the food truck? I own the food truck. Um, and I tell people like if the manufacturing is our, or, you know, our brewery, this is our tap room. It's a way of showcasing the products that we sell, how you use them and kind of building a market. Um, down here in the South, uh, falafel is kind of unknown. Um, unlike the way it is in the Northeast or in, you know, California or Chicago or anywhere else in the world, down here in the Southeast, uh, we're kind of unfamiliar with it. So it takes a lot of education, takes a lot of uh, market building. And that's what the food truck's good for. Even when you say falafel, immediately I start thinking if someone fried a waffle, I have no clue exactly what <laughs> falafel even is. I hear that all the time. So, um, you know, just, and it's easier for you to taste it, to see it, but, you know, describing over audio, it's like a, it's like a Mediterranean hush puppy. Oh, kind of like a, it's made from chickpeas, made from some veggies, some spice, um, and then you you kind of it comes out like a dough uh, when you when you blend it all up, and then you you fry it, and um, it's a great meat substitute. It has a lot of protein, but no allergens, no soy, no gluten, no fish, nothing like that. And so it's a it's a vegan plant protein. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with like the way the, the food market's moving, but uh, people are eating healthier, people are eating more vegan, people are kind of moving away from meat in general. And so the falafel, it really fills a need for the chefs or for patrons who are trying to, to eat a little better. Yeah, I mean, you got to think at one point, it took us so long to figure it out now. But the fact is, when you fry an Oreo, I don't really consider that healthy. <laughs> well, yeah, there is the frying aspect. Um, luckily, you know, you know, anything fried under two minutes doesn't develop trans fats. Um, and it's just kind of coating the outside. Because when you drop a product into like a 350 degree fryer, it instantly crispens the outside. And so oil doesn't really continue to seep into the product. So it is fried, but it's, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Um, sure, we would love, you can bake it and you can do all sorts of other things with it. But the traditional way is to kind of cook it in some oil. Yeah, well, you brought up a good point. We're, we're heading in 2020 here. The whole factor is we're starting off, everybody's wanting to eat a lot healthier, but we're getting this weird shift where we think that eating healthy, like if you're going to eat a salad every day is what you have to do to be healthy. We're not focusing on other things as well as the emotional side too. And that's where like you see people that get into stress eating um, types of things where they can get addicted to food because of just the overall emotions they can receive from it. But there's a weird thing going on now where now people are blogging them eating food. Like really, really the, like the things that you want to have yourself, but don't want to put in your body because you know, the calories are way too much where you're like, that's going to ruin my figure. And it's, it's really, really getting strange, man. We're living in some strange times. We're living in some strange times, but I think there's also some rationale to all of this. Um, you know, I think we've been eating so poorly for so long, um, ever since, you know, maybe World War II when rations and food was meant to be as cheap as possible um, to conserve resources. I think, you know, for a long time, we've been, you know, messing with our meat, messing with our vegetables, um, putting everything on a certain, you know, uh, strain, you know, as far as like genetically modified organisms, as far as like corn or any type of other large scale vegetable that's going to be uh, mass produced. 
um, we've been, you know, messing with the seeds, messing with the genetic formats for, you know, pesticide reasons or for uh, yield reasons. But at the end of the day, um, it can kind of it can get out of hand. And so I think, you know, I'm 27. You're you're young as well. But we've kind of grown up seeing um, generations before us eat poorly and maybe deal with the health consequences in their later years. And I think there's a big push, um, not just in America, but in the global scale to kind of change the way people eat and how food is done. And so, yeah, there's some crazy times, but I, I think it's um, a good thing overall. How did you decide to, first of all, even just own a food truck in general? This is a strange idea because I've always been so fascinated with just wanting to own my own food truck. I remember um, I used to go thrift shopping all the time when I was a little kid going thrift shopping. I saw this like abandoned truck, like one of those things you would see that like someone would deliver ice cream out of. And it was covered in moss and all these vines and stuff. And it was just behind some dude's backyard. And I was like, what is that? And he was telling me it, was, it used to be a food truck back in the day. And I always thought of how cool it would be to, first of all, create your own, mostly because your customers are always uniquely different. The fact is, when you have a restaurant on wheels, you get the occasional customer or something when it comes to just having a stable business or something in a town. You know, you get the occasional person that drifts in like, oh, I've never been in here before. But when you're on a food truck, you're going to so many unique and different places where you get to see where it works and where it really doesn't. Yeah, you, you actually nailed it right on the head. Um, so you asked me how I got into this. Well, the whole point of it was to to build a market and to kind of market the falafel and, and to introduce people to it. And what you just said there was was perfect. Um, you get to travel around. You get to see where it hits, where it doesn't, um, who connects with it, who doesn't, uh, what age range, what what you know gender, what uh, you know what type of person, whether a college educated or not. Where where does the product really land? Um, and that's a question that unless you go out into the trenches, you don't really know, as I'm sure you've experienced with your podcast, like you, you probably created this podcast with some idea in mind of who you were going to target and what you were going to talk about. And then over time it changes, uh, based on how the market receives it. Oh, these people don't really like it or they don't like this topic. So I'm going to kind of change it this way. And so, um, with us being, you know, a falafel based product here in the South, um, we didn't know exactly who it would land with. We didn't know if it was going to be young college kids. We didn't know if it was going to be older parents trying to uh, eat healthier. We didn't know if it was going to be immigrants who recognized the product from back home. We had no idea. And so the, the food truck is a great way of going around, testing different markets, seeing what people think on the ground level. It's uh, invaluable. What would you say your audience would be like, you know, if you want to talk about like my podcast, the weird thing is I let usually the flow of the conversation, it's no script or no topics in particular goes anywhere. So I've had people bring up political stuff before and that shit. You're like, all right, well, I guess I'm diving into this one. You know what I mean? And it's all about really just the conversations with people. But when it comes to owning a food truck, like who have you found so far that when it comes up to buy your thing, I have to think if you're trying to do vegan or trying to do at least health conscious meals, even though it might be a little bit fried in some sort, you're attacking an audience, I'm guessing, that's probably in their 30s to 40s or maybe a college kid trying to stay fit or anybody that is kind of physically apparent onto their looks. Um, yes. So you know, they, you, uh, any product or business is going to have a primary market and then a secondary market. Uh, the people who they, they primarily target and then ones that also happen to fall into um, your demand range. Um, with us, the only data set I have is basically who I've, who I've sold product to and who I can see coming through our website and coming through our Instagram account and stuff like that. Um, based off that data set, you would, you would say that the target market for us would be a female uh, 25 to 35. Um, that's the primary. Now there are some secondary markets. Um, we, we do all right with the 18 to 24 range and we do all right with the 35 to 45 range. Um, but, and, and there are some males, it's about a 60, 40 split, um, on males to females, but yeah, primarily it's, it's younger women. And I, I'm not quite sure why that is i'm not sure if they they're more health conscious or more aware of social issues or you know um if i had to make a guess i would have to say yeah. probably if you're saying the age range is between you said 25 to 35 correct that's probably because it's around the time they're having a kid and usually they're trying to get their body back to what it was before after having a kid 
So usually you're dealing with like the fit mom, the one that's running outside, you know, with a fit band on or something, a stereotypical one you would see um, in like a movie or something. That's kind of the, seems like the audience. I mean, I'm a fitness freak, so I know what it's like to care about your looks. And trust me, coming from that perspective of things, there's a whole thing to it when it decides to eat healthier, especially when you find out there's a food truck in your neighborhood, you're going for a jog or something. You're like, holy shit, like, what's this? Like, definitely going to, oh, you're telling me you got vegan options? All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a, there's probably a level of that. There's people who fall into that category. Um, I find that parents are usually uh, stressed and, you know, trying to eat cheaper because they have more mouths to feed. And, you know, um, I don't know, it's it's quite possible. I've kind of attributed it to maybe girls, women are, that's the age range where they're really opening up their mind. They're really becoming aware of the world around them. Um, It's a very uh, high level growth period, 25 to 35. And they're kind of experiencing the real world. And I I kind of think uh, that has something to do with it, where their mind is. Um, But also, you know, younger people, are more idealistic. It's natural. And so people see the world as it could be rather than what it is. And I think, uh, you know, falafel being positive in many different ways for the environment, for your body, they see it as a, as a solution, um, to the, to the issues. Now, what exactly consists on your menu though? It seems like, you know, I'm a guy that likes nachos and seems like a falafel. I'm not a big fried person. So do you guys offer other things there? Like how do you choose and how do you create new options for your menu as well? That is, um, that's the, the, the cool challenging part about it. Um, so falafel in general has been served up in a, a one way for many, many years. And that's kind of been as like a nugget served in a pita bread. Um, and then, you know, topped with tzatziki or feta or, or something along those lines, tabbouleh. And what we're trying to do is break break the molds of how falafel has been known. Um, instead of people seeing it in the traditional Mediterranean box, we try to get people to see it in a different light, whether that being used in a uh, in an Asian uh, cuisine, whether it be used in a Southern cuisine, um, a Latin cuisine. The whole idea is to get people to go, oh, this is so much more than what it traditionally has been. So and when we come up with menu items, we're always thinking about what, what menu items do we like in general without falafel included, chicken, beef, whatever it may be. What menu items do we like? What do you think that would fit with this concept? And can falafel be used in place of that protein? And so um, some of the menu items are a menu that uh, you know, sell quite well. Um, you said nachos. Nachos is, is one of them. So we do like falafel nachos. Um, we try to make everything from scratch everything from, you know, pure ingredients, uh, taza in itself means fresh in quite a few different languages. And so we really try to embody that. Um, yes, the falafel is fried, but, you know, we use all raw vegetables. We um, use, uh, you know, designated fryers, designated uh, grills for uh, the, the pieces of qu- uh, the food that we're creating. And so we really try to keep it as healthy as possible. Um, some of the items that we'll do is, you know, nachos, we'll do a Thai street wrap, combining uh, falafel with, you know, coconut curry and, and some other Asian flavors. We'll do um, a shroom and Swiss burger. So taking falafel, turning it into a burger um, and kind of giving it a Southern format or an American format. So, um, you know, we have experimented with other proteins, uh, whether it came to like jackfruit barbecue or uh, bringing on some chicken or something along those lines to kind of open the market to more people. Uh, or make opening ourselves to more people in the market. Uh, but at the end of the day, we can't deviate too far from what we do, and that's falafel. So, um, yeah, always creating dishes that are outside the box. How do you come across something like outside of the box? I mean, the easiest example I can think of is just working around it so much. The whole fact is, like, if I wanted to create, let's say, healthier nachos, instead of using, like, American cheese or using something that could use an alternative source, I could use mm-hmm. a lower a lower calorie chip or a more whole grain chip to kind of get the essential nutrients. Like like what mm-hmm. you were talking about before, the whole thing with the fried aspect of it. Yeah, it is fried, but it's more health conscious. There's a mm-hmm. recipe for making uh, Chick-fil-A's um, chicken nuggets. And it's a healthier way by using peanut oil and it's way better and it tastes a lot better too. I find that if we actually ch- try and change the ingredient, even though it might cost a little bit more, you overall receive a better product in general. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I will tell you that um, this generation now, people are more uh, nowadays um, appreciative of a higher quality product than they ever have been before, I would argue. Um, and 
you just mentioned a great thing, uh, a great point there. Ingredients matter. Uh, packaging matters. Do you carry styrofoam? Do you carry plastic? Or do you use compostable uh, packaging? Um, do you use plastic forks? Do you use wooden forks? Uh, we happen to use, you know, all compostable ingredients and people do appreciate that and they're willing to pay a little bit more for it. And that's something that I think deviates from the norm of the past is that people, our generation at least, is willing to, to take a step in the right direction and pay a little bit more if that means the right thing is being done. Um, you have to think being a kitchen staff on a food truck you know how much of a pain in the ass it's got to be if you got to give out plates like for people to use like oh we got to wash that so can you stack it over here like just keeping track of it all and plus the amount that you probably might serve on like a busy day i mean if you're thinking about whatever's on depending on your menu is the types of items you're going to serve i mean do you have mm -hmm. based on like your specials and stuff too like do you kind of vary it on whatever the day is or whatever you know maybe your chefs or something are kind of preferring to cook mm -hmm. it seems like if it's like a nice cold day or something you want something hot you want something like a soup or something and then when it's like a super hot day you don't want something that's like steaming hot like a lobster like fuck i don't want to eat this i'm already scorching outside yes absolutely um so yeah cold um soups and and hot drinks and stuff like that in the winter when it comes around summer doing more popsicles doing more frozen drinks um absolutely temperature plays the biggest role weather and temperature Another kind of come. There's a lot of overlap there, but weather and temperature play the absolute massive role um, in food trucking. And so, um, yeah, we have to we have to adjust our menu a little bit. But at the end of the day, consistency is everything, and I mean that on multiple different levels. Consistency of where you set up, you know, being at the same place every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, but also offering a lot of the same items that people can come back and get their regular. Uh, I like this item. This is the one I'm gonna get every Tuesday when I come here. I'm comfortable. People are creatures of habit. So um, just being consistent uh, like that, um, it, it's amazing what that will do. And so we do offer some specials based on, you know, if it's a holiday coming up, uh, Fat Tuesday or some sort of a uh, themed holiday, we'll, we'll, we'll feature a dish. But um, yeah, weather plays the, the biggest role. Would you say what was the most important characteristic for one of your food in general? Because I know a lot of the different chefs and a lot of different restaurant owners, they try and prioritize on one thing, whether it's the overall atmosphere that their truck gives off or their restaurant gives off, whether it's the idea of what the food looks like on the plate or whether it's the actual taste of the food. It seems like it varies between audiences. A lot of people scarf stuff. Like I guess as a stutter for me, but most people try and scarf something down so fast, they never really get the time to enjoy their food and actually be able to, you know, as long as it looks appetizing, they're going to eat it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you're asking which, which qualities um, take what priority? Would you consider would be the most priority in your mind of what you try and invoke into your food truck? Hmm. Um, well, that's tough because it's a system and you can't just kind of pin out one thing. Um, you know, when I first got into this business, people told me, you got to have a nice wrap. You got to have a nice food truck wrap. Uh, people won't come to your truck. And then I've heard other things like, oh, the quality of the food is everything. And then I've heard uh, the appearances of the food is everything. It kind of, it's, it's now that I've been in it, it's a bit of both uh, or a bit of all of those things. Um, you really can't pin out one. Um, the, you know, I'm a marketing background, uh, marketing major. The idea that packaging is what gets you to buy, and then the quality of the product is what keeps them buying. Just like the uh, title of a book. The title of the book is the first thing someone sees, and it decides that they want to open up and look inside of it. That's probably one of the most important things, I would say, when you're designing a mm -hmm. food truck. If you have something that's basic and looks like a rundown thing that has bullet holes in the side of it, you're going to be like, why am I not eating there? Nothing they're serving there is going to be good for my digestive system or FDA regulated. Right. Uh, precisely. Um, but you know, I've actually seen, you know, food trailers, uh, whether it be like a, a taco trailer or something at a gas station, um, do really well. And from the outside, you're looking, you're like, there's no way. And you see the health score, it's a uh, 85, 84. Uh, there's no way I'm going to eat there, but people, people do eat there. Um, it really depends on who your clientele is and what kind of food you're serving. If you're serving tacos. That's cheap. You can look a little cheaper. Um, if you're, you're serving kind of falafel, that's a little bit more bougie item need to look a little bit more bougie um, at the end of the day because you're right your branding has to be consistent all the way down to the product all the way up to the wrap everything kind of has to match now when it comes to the wrapping of your truck how did you come up with the idea did you you were involved in the wrapping i'm guessing yes i did um so 
I don't know if, you, if you've seen our branding. Um, I have, and it, it's actually, you guys do it very, very well, surprisingly. Um, thank you. What I mean surprisingly, I mean is everyone always thinks that they want to overdo it. They want to put everything like, like, yeah, okay, don't get me wrong. If you have, you know, a giant chicken painted on the side of your truck and he's like, has an AK-47 and he's riding a grizzly bear, you bet your ass I'm going to buy something from that truck. But it's not that your truck stands out, but it it it's it plays it cool you know you look mm. at it and it's like it's got this edge vibe to it it's got like a mm. it's got the color scheme kind of of uh the green hornet but mm -hmm. it's so like it's not something that you're going to pass over you're going to look at it and be like huh that's a pretty cool design mostly with the bold kind of strategy you do with your lettering on the side of it as well it's not too flashy and it's not too like you can't tell what it is it's just mm. the right amount well thank you um when we, when we sat down and, and designed this, um, there was a, 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 big, a big dichotomy that we were trying to draw attention to. So this product, who is our primary audience? Uh, a primary audience, I know we kind of went over the, the age range or the demographics, but we're a wholesaler. We're a manufacturer. We sell to chefs. So our, our primary audience you know, is chefs. And so um, we were trying to embrace and embody the chef when we created this brand. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you look at our branding, um, if any of the listeners uh, want to look us up, you can go to tazameansfresh.com um, and, and kind of get a look at what we're trying to do. Basically, you see, we call it graffiti. You see this pattern behind the, uh, the, the name and the logo and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of an explosion of ingredients. Um, if you look closely, those are the ingredients of our falafel. And they're exploding out in di many different, different ways. Um, and it's kind of got this creative, artistic uh, festival feel to it. And then over top of it, you have a kind of a clean written logo and clean written uh, you know, uh, name. And the, the point of that is a chef. When you look at a chef, what do you see? Well, you usually see a nice white jacket. Maybe you see uh, you know, they, they're very militaristic. They run the kitchen. They have people underneath them. They're kind of like the general of the kitchen. So in some way, they're clean cut. They're uh, very disciplined. On the other side, though, they, they might be covered up in tats. They might be super you know, creative with the food and, and dishes they create. And so the idea is a chef can be very militaristic, but also very, very creative. And it's a really unique uh, profession that gets to draw those two things together. And so when you look at our branding, it's a complete combination of that. It's an explosion of creativity overlapped by a very clean, crisp, uh, kind of disciplined look. And that's really what we wanted to do when we created this branding, uh, was to embody the chef on a much deeper level. Plus the colors of it as well. I mean, I, I know that sounds like a stupid thing to say, but if you look at the color scheme, if it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the type of food that you're serving too. Vegan, mm. we think green immediately. We think vegetables are the color of green. That's what you're going to serve it as. But you give it like a nice basis to it too with black and a little bit of light green. That whole concept is it's very opening for anybody that wants to go in there. Maybe if they have a stomach issue or maybe if they're health conscious, you know, when you think of barbecue, first things you're thinking is black colors, red colors, all mm. these other types of things that are going to catch somebody's eye and draw them to that truck. But the aspect of playing it cool. Now, before you bought the food truck, though, you originally had like, did you have a, a prior design or a more original thing to it? Like, was it just a shack? Was it something else? I can't just see that you were randomly like, yeah. I'm going to build a food truck. <laughs> um, yes. And I'll, I'll get on that point. Can I go back real quickly? What you said, you said the colors. Um, yes. When we open up a falafel, those are the colors you see. You see green, you see purple from the, from the red onion. Um, so yes, we chose the colors based off what you look at the product. Um, as far as why, why I went into a food truck, um, the business existed three, four years before I got into the food trucking. Um, you know, this branding has been around before it pre predates the food truck. Um, so I did, I, there's no way I jumped right in and said, I just want to do it. Um, in fact, I, I probably wouldn't have done it had I not seen a, um, a great value behind the marketing side of it. Um, and and to, to to your point again, um, what was the last part of your question there? The part where it said is kind of the starting off of the truck in general. Seems like oh, you know oh, right. you didn't just go right into getting a food truck. See, the weird thing is, when we look at the idea of a food truck, 
not a lot of people are going to invest in this thing and it hasn't been really invested into for a while besides maybe local people that know what their area really likes and serves i'm guessing that's why you serve your area because you know exactly how to market the types of things that your audience would want um, such as the people in your area they don't know what this food is why do a lot of people travel that's because they want to go experience something new. And what's the first thing they do? They go out to a restaurant. They go to something that they have not had before. And when they come across a menu item that they've never heard before, they try it. Usually if you're traveling, you're not going to be like the average kid that goes like, I just want chicken tenders and nuggets. But you can get chicken tenders and nuggets anywhere. Yeah, but that's what I want. And that's what I know I like. When people go and travel, they're trying new foods. When you start off, first of all, with your idea of the food truck, like we said, it's not a very big market, at least that we've seen in the past. We've seen a very few, but those are some of the best restaurants, in my opinion. I've stopped at many food trucks. Um, there's not, they're not very common in my area, but those little snow cone stands or wherever a food truck parks, puts up a giant sign, and that's where they are for a seasonal event or something. They become the most popular because not only is the factor is that they're limited, but a lot of the good food comes from that as well. See, people think you have to go into a restaurant or something to experience good food, and that's just not true. Like you were saying before about the gas station and seeing that uh, truck outside there, seeing that little whatever stand that was selling, just it was really good food, and you wouldn't expect that from that place. That's the coolest part about, mm -hmm. I guess, discovering food trucks is that now we're seeing, like you were saying, you figured out that it was a market that you could go towards, and like it leads up to the factor of, with first of all buying your truck in general but you started off somewhere i mean is it crazy to watch it kind of grow it is crazy to watch it grow um it's it, it's hard to see the growth in the moment you can only see it when you look back um and, and if i can say you asked how did we start um and and did we just jump right into a food truck um i want to take this moment to kind of introduce uh the, my other business partner so um, I'm just a co-founder. Uh, the the founder, um, his name is Tony. Uh, he's an Egyptian American, and he is uh, he was also a student at UGA with me, and we took the entrepreneurship class together. Um, our origins is that you know he had gone back to Egypt um, for like a, a Christmas break, and he got infatuated with the food that lined the streets. Um, there's, you know, I, I went over with him a few years later, and I mean, there's falafel stands on the side. There's some of the best street food you've ever seen, some of the best food vendors you've ever seen just lining the streets um, and, and they're, 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 little, they're little shops. And it's really, uh, when you look at that, you kind of look at what they're doing. There's not really something like that in the United States that food truck is really the closest thing to street food you get down here, um, maybe in New York or Chicago. But uh, so what we did was he was very inspired about it. He came back. Um, we were taking an entrepreneurship class and we were tasked with creating a business what's in our pockets. And then at the end of the semester, we're going to be judged based on revenue. So, you know, Tony, um, he was inspired by the falafel. He had a falafel recipe from his parents um, who grew up in Egypt. And we started, you know, testing it with the school of music, uh, which is, he was a music student. And so we started, you know, developing the, uh, the product first, um, making sure that people were happy with it. They were, we do falafel parties where people would come over to the apartment try some falafel, and then we get yays, nays, feedback, all that kind of stuff. And we developed the product, and then eventually we started selling on campus on this little tabletop with a little fryer, a little electric fryer. And every Friday uh, in between <laughs> 11 and 2 on East Campus, we would set up this little uh, tabletop fryer and call it Falafel Fridays, and we would sell falafel on pita in between classes. And it got very, very popular. We used to serve uh, student and staff both. And uh, we'd have lines in, in between both these class breaks. And um, that's how we tested the market. That's how we got the feedback we needed. And that's how we found, it out, uh, found out if the product was worth pursuing or if the company was worth pursuing. And once we saw the demand there, we decided, okay, there's something here. Um, and so, yeah, we started as a tabletop and um, just testing very small. So there's one piece of advice I can give to entrepreneurs out there is start small. Don't get yourself in a lot of debt. Just t you know, test the market with your friends, with your family, um, with small setups. It doesn't have to be <laughs> necessarily the most legal thing. Um, when you're starting up, you're kind of a pirate ship. You just kind of go out there and you make it happen, and uh, you get the answers that you need. Um, so, food truck is really just a culmination, a pinnacle of where we've been over the past five years. Um, it's 
not where we started by any means. And I don't suggest anyone just start off with a food truck. But, um, you know, after a few years of working at it, you know, these things are pretty reasonable options. Yeah, getting to learn the trade in a way, too. That's why when you see a lot of chefs, they always start off as like a dishwasher or they start off as something as a basic job. And then they end up, when they become a chef doing it for so many different restaurants, they get a whole bunch of experience where they open up their own business. Um, what would you say probably is one of the most beneficial things that you really pulled out of the food truck? I would have to say, like for me, if I was owning a food truck, would probably be just meeting so many different and unique people. I mean, no place is exactly the same. You're absolutely right. Um, meeting the people is probably, it's definitely one of the most valuable things you can do. Um, I've met uh, business owners. I've met food brokers. I've met um, people in, in very influential uh, positions um, in the city or in, in their own industries because um, everyone eats at the end of the day. and You just never know who you're, you're uh, serving that day. Um, I would say the most valuable thing we've gotten out of the food truck is the feedback, the reviews, um, the, the, the marketing parts. Basically, are we able to get more pictures of our product? Are we able to get more uh, Google reviews, more Facebook reviews? Are we able to get more um, you know, demand for falafel in general? Are we building a market? I would say currently 60% uh, of our customers have never had falafel before. I mean, on a daily basis, one out of two of my customers have never had it. And so every single day, if I'm serving 100 people, 50 of those people or 60 of those people had never had the product before. And that's out there, you know, so that's real life building of a market. Um, you know, you know, you hope one day that they'll tell their kids about it and let their kids try it and, you know, compound it over time. Um, this, you could change a whole city's perspective on a certain product. Um, so I would say the most valuable thing that we've gotten out of the food truck is the marketing, the exposure and the feedback. Now, when it comes to creative ideas that comes with owning a food truck, I mean, I can already think of a million ideas if I owned a food truck of what I would be trying to be creating. Are you just trying to find something and make it more of a healthier option? Or have you had any ideas yourself that you're looking to incorporate? Every day, we're open to new ideas of incorporation. Um, just being on a, a very small vessel with a chef, um, he and I constantly create and, and, and try new things. So that's always happening. Um, again, the, the, the whole reason the, the food truck even exists is, is for marketing purposes and, and building a market. Um, it, it was created with that intent. So, you know, food trucking, it's a, I don't plan on building a franchise out of this. I don't, I don't plan on uh, really getting into multiple trucks or anything along those lines. But I wanted something out there that represented us. We don't have a storefront. We don't have a way of people really knowing us except for the restaurants that sell us. And all we can do is put up window stickers and point of sale and maybe do some social media marketing, but no one really knows who we are. And nor does, nor do people really care because it's a behind the scenes product. At the end of the day, if you're a behind the scenes, a B2B type business, you have to have a B2C interaction. You have to have a customer interaction. And that was something that we were, we were lacking. And um, activity leads to activity. I'm a firm believer in that. And so just going out there and being active with your product creates more opportunity in the end. Yeah, well, just like you were saying a minute ago, the whole factor is when you keep it a small run thing, you know, not turning it into a franchise, you put a lot more care and a lot more effort into that one thing. I think that's where we see a lot of problems get lost around the way. Like you see a lot of fast food chains. The fact is they're a giant business, so they don't give two shits about anybody that is eating at their restaurant. All they care about is the money aspect of things. And then eventually they'll remodel or they'll do something, but it's so widely owned, you can't focus like one person cannot focus in on all that even though they might have a manager for a certain branch when you create something there is a when you build it up and establish it where you see a lot of old family businesses it's because that's that's what they have they don't have any other side branches or off chains and they don't really want to open one up because of the care and amount of effort that they put into just creating this one thing in general it's sustainable it's easy to manage and it it, it might have its difficult times but you are allowed to provide more care into it you're able to care more about your customers have an overall experience and even though you're saying you do the marketing aspect of things too that's when it really kind of capitalizes though when a place doesn't become too big for its britches mm -hmm. oh yeah i couldn't agree more um 
I remember my uh, entrepreneurship professor telling me back in college, the hardest thing about business is growing. It's the hardest thing because once you start scaling, all, all of your weaknesses, all your bottlenecks, they start showing themselves. Volume exposes weaknesses. Um, and so I could not agree more. Uh, when you start branching out and holding multiple units, it, it, it's natural to lose quality. It's natural to kind of, uh, you know, focus more on profits rather than the actual experience. Um, and that's why when you find companies that do it very well, as big as they are, it's, it's impressive. Um, I would say that uh, Chick-fil-A is an example of a company that, that even though as large as they are, they hold a pretty high standard of, uh, of customer service. It's and that, that Sunday. It, it's that Sunday. It's that day they're not open is why they have that look to them. It's just the whole aspect of like, you guys aren't, you aren't all about the money. You have this thing, whether it's religion or whatever, you guys are just aren't open on Sunday. That whole factor plays into a lot of it that I don't think a lot of people understand. It could, it could. Um, I think the only thing that has uh, a good PR, um, um, it's a good PR move to not open on Sundays. And I'm sure there's a, there's a religious reason behind it. Um, definitely when Kathy was alive. Um, I, I think though they have more than enough money <laughs> to, uh, to get what they want. Um, and they don't necessarily need to open on Sundays. If they were a public company, I'm sure they would. Uh, but I think what they do is much deeper than just uh, opening a day. I think one day of, or being closed one day of the week. I think what they're doing is extremely exceptional training and management. Um, they, they bring everybody to headquarters to train, you know, um, you're, you're, you're trained to be the absolute perfect reflection of their ideals. And then you're brought back to training the employees. And for some reason, whether they, they uh, are really good about hiring uh, high school kids who are a little bit go-getters. And so uh, they're malleable. They can be taught things. Um, whatever it is that they do, I haven't exactly pinpointed. I'm not part of the company, but they are very good at what they do for their size. And so to your original point, yes, as you get bigger, it is very hard to hold on to quality. Um, and so as a manufacturer, you are exposed to the same risks. We can definitely cheapen our ingredients as we get bigger and try to price compete. But at the um, that's not our goal. And our goal is to it wouldn't be honoring to Tony or his tradition or his family if we cheapened the product. It wouldn't. It, well, even saying that, creating that wholeness to it really gets a, a restaurant a better look. A lot of people are going to hear that and they're going to be like, wow, that's someone that actually cares. I mean, how often do we go into a business now where it seems like there's not really any care involved into not even just the customer, but the overall staff in general? but you're working so close with people, when you keep it a small run business, you get to know people. It's not like you, you guys just work together every single day for whatever, 10 years or something and never get the person's name. You know, you, you, you come in contact with them. You're able to get ideas from them as well. And that's one of the most beneficial things, I think, for a restaurant, especially like a small business or someone that's looking to start their own business, is trying to figure out if you're going to really want to be one of those branches that just pops up everywhere, or are you going to be one that truly cares about the craft and work on building an overall successful store in general? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, sometimes I wonder why people even get into this, this business. Um, you know, food is not an easy industry. It's a very, very hard industry, mostly because the barrier to entry is so low. So, so many people can get in it. And it's barely highly competitive. But there are a lot of people, and I say food truckers. I know people who own food trucks, and I know people who own restaurants. And I don't know why they're in the business because the passion's not there. The love of what they're doing is not there. And it, it, it reflects in their management style and it reflects in their quality of food and the appearance of their restaurant. Um, you're absolutely right. The consumer can tell if you care or not. Um, you don't think they do, but they can. And many of them don't tell you that they noticed something was wrong. They'll, they'll, they'll leave without telling you and you don't get that feedback. And so they just won't come back next time. So yeah, I'm in a complete agreement with you. Uh, quality is everything and you can't lose focus. You don't be in it unless you're passionate. Well, it's like they always say, happy wife, happy life. When you go to a restaurant or something, if the serving staff, if the waitress, the waiter, the chef, they're in a bad mood, they create that energy around them. And that energy around them, like let's say I'm approaching your food truck. If the guy's just trying to rush food, what do you want? All right, how many? Okay. 10 minutes and like immediately gives me that I'm like, Oh, well, I'm not eating here. Like that's not happening. 
it's I, I I you know it's not that you have to be like oh do you want me to pull the chair out for you but it's more like don't make me feel rushed like you know I'm okay I, but I like the overall atmosphere part of it too you know you're getting people that are going and first of all trying your product that's new but also trying to get an experience out of it as well which kind of leads to my question what's your most memorable experience just doing this business in general like did, did you have maybe a thought, maybe like you were a kid at some point, maybe diving into this? Or like you said, it was more like a marketing aspect, like you saw an open market for it. But what's the most memorable thing that you would consider about just diving into this in general? That's a loaded question. Um, yeah, it's, over, like, a, over, it's like a baked potato. It's pretty <laughs> Over five years, I, I've got quite a few memorable no- moments. Um, I really don't know if I can pin it down to a certain one. There is, you know, when you're out there doing it every day, and I'm sure you have uh, a lot of experience in this, it's, it's tough to distinguish the days. They almost run together in a way um, because when you're doing the grind every day, there's never, not every day is filled with a, filled with a, um, a stimulation from good work or a stimulation from, good results. Quite often, there's a lot of bad days in between the good ones. Um, so it kind of blends together. I would say if I had a, a memorable experience that I could pin everything down to, it would probably be in the early days um, when Tony and I did like a business competition. And one of the, you know, when we were in, in year one of our business, we did a business competition in, in Georgia. And one of the judges was um, a chef, uh, a five-star chef, uh, Michelin beard, uh, I mean, uh, James Beard award-winning chef. And, um, even though we got our butts kicked on stage and the judges tore us apart, that judge came up afterwards and said, don't stop what you're doing. You're doing a good, you, you make an excellent product. Have you thought about going wholesale? And up to that point, we were just focused on the food trucks, um, food trucks and like opening, you know, restaurants and that kind of thing. So, I would say that moment was probably one of the most influential moments in our history because that man got us to think in a different way. And he ended up hiring us uh, for a year uh, later so that we can come learn um, more about the industry. He owned like an ice cream manufacturing business. So pretty similar to what we were doing, like it's frozen food, it's craft quality, uh, it's wholesale, it's manufacturing. So um, I can kind of pin a lot of our paths and our roots and everything back to that singular moment. Um, that's probably one of the most important aspects. What that guy did was he didn't destroy your hope or destroy any belief that you thought at all, just because, you know, you said maybe the product wasn't that good. It doesn't matter when you see potential. First of all, how many people give up on a dream because they feel like they're never going to achieve anything. You know, they give them that somebody gives them that Simon Cowell answer, like, sorry, but you're just shit. Like when you hear that, you immediately want to drop everything you're doing and feel like it's all failed. Like you're never going to become anything, but the aspect of helping you out or maybe just seeing the potential, but not giving somebody such a disregard for it too. It, it, it can, it can help and it can hurt if it's done in the opposite way. You know, you, um, at that very same competition, there was a guy in the, in the crowd. I'll never forget this guy. He had, a, had his baseball cap on and he was, he asked the most absurd questions, um, you know, and, and he would just tear us down in ways that were, seemed a little unnecessary. At the end of the day, we're, we're you know, 20 years old. Um, we're young and we have a lot of gumption and aspiration. Destroying young talents, um, aspirations is, is not beneficial to anyone. Um, people, who are critical of your podcast or anything along those lines, it doesn't do the world any good to, to, to tear them down if they're, you know, their passion. So um, you're right. There's a very, very particular way that you need to give critique to people who are out there on their own doing it. Um, well, you mentioned the competitive aspect of it too. That's a thing. The experience, you know, you judge something based on its experience, but basically on the age, you know, you see a guy, an old guy running a food kitchen, you're like, he's been doing it for years, you know, he could have just bought the thing, he could have just been diving Mm -hmm. right into it. But you see someone in their 20s trying to do something, you're like, oh, you don't know anything yet, you haven't even been Mm -hmm. exposed to the world yet. It's like, I've actually been pretty involved. 
Like mm-hmm. nobody, you, we make judgments on how somebody looks rather than comparing on the actual skill and first of all, knowledge that person might have on the craft in general. Yes. I, um, I heard the other day, so, uh, someone said something really wise. We, we re- reward talent, but we don't reward effort. And um, we re- reward results over a process. And at the end of the day, you're exactly right because you don't know if that person just bought the shop. You don't know if someone is just getting into business for the very first time. They finally saved up enough money over the years, you know, 30, you know, 20 years of grinding at a, at a place to get, save up enough money to open your own. You don't know what people are going through. And, and people often assume that business owners are just made in the shade, rolling in the dough, and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, it, it is interesting. Appearances, I don't like to admit it, but we live in a world where appearances matter. Um, and it's, it's a, I think anyone who is aware of that, um, you know, people who listen to this podcast, you know, they've, they're aware of this now. Um, you, you need to have open, an open mind when talking to a business owner, when you're in their business, um, you know, whether you take a few extra, few extra things off the, like, I don't know how to explain this. Like I'm gonna get a few more refills or I'm going to take this glass because oh he has a thousand glasses. He's a business owner. It's, it's good. Those little chips away from people over assuming um, something is, is really what wears someone down over time. It's not, it's not a big punch to the face that usually knocks someone out of the game. It's a, it's a death by a thousand cuts and it's can be a death from a thousand bills or can be death from uh, what's called shrinkage loss, theft, that kind of thing. Employees stealing from you. You do cash business, and then employees, you know, take a couple, you know, bills off the side, put in their pocket, and then it's just a constant battle as a business owner to for trust and um, and letting go of it and letting people kind of manage it for you. You want to take a step back, but at the end of the day, if you can't trust anyone, you can't take a step back. It's a very complicated thing. Yeah, you want trust in a business where you're hiring people. Plus, especially you own one truck. So it's the whole factor is you have a small amount of people that can fit in that truck that work there. You want them happy. You want to be able to know them too and develop a relationship. I think when a lot of distrust builds up is when the factor is you lose the connection with that person or whoever is involved in making your product or just being involved in it in general, the idea when it comes to management, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to everything, you need to make sure that you stay in contact too. have that conversation, figure out what's going on, figure out if they're having a bad day, just give me, giving them an ear to kind of, you know, talk to as well. I mean, all these factors come into play, like you said before, not really that one knockout punch, but death by a thousand cuts. That whole aspect is we judge people very, very badly on their looks, like you were saying. We live in this world where everything is constantly need to be judged, whether it's what someone has or what someone doesn't have. This is how we make comparisons in life. Everyone does it. I do it. I try my best not to do it. I try and be treat everyone exactly the way I would want to be treated. But the whole aspect is we need to see a shift. We need to see an event happen in this world with the way that we're going um, we're starting to notice it being more health conscious and stuff, but I feel like the overall health also comes into the overall play of what our mind does as well. Spend less time on devices and more times creating memories, such as your experience with your business partner and just kind of coming across this concept and idea too, and then having that competition and things. It's, it's, these are all factors that come into play, especially if you're going to be a business owner. Like we're saying, atmosphere, man, that plays a big factor into a lot of things. If someone goes up to your food truck and they feel like you're judging them, you're doing all these types of things, or, or you're overall not happy or anything, they're going to tell that. And it evokes off into your truck as well. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, life is not about existing. It's about living. And people who are out there just trying to create something, um, at least they're living. Um, failure is a part of life and running away from failure doesn't (laughs) it doesn't uh protect you from it it will still happen um in a different way you know if you protect yourself from the everyday failures of life at the end of the day you failed at life itself um so you have to go out there you have to face it You, you can't hide and you know we live in the most i would say significant time in history we're living in a time when the internet the internet is growing and maturing. We live in a time when we're shifting from the old world to the new. Um, and it's, 
really significant the time period that we're living in and if you're just if you're just existing you're really especially in the united states where you have more opportunity and more money um collectively than any other nation in the history of the world it's you're not taking advantage of the resources that you've been given and um you know just going out there it doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar business but just applying yourself to something whether it's a sport whether it's some sort of hobby whether it's some sort of business you gotta live you can't hide if I had to ask you what was what, what would be one thing that you've thought of that you want to kind of add to either the truck or maybe the menu in general, what would you say? If I wanted something to, to add to it? Come on. We've all had those 2 a.m. thoughts where you're like, dude, this would be so crazy if this was, you know, you've had to have one of those just owning a truck in general. If I can own something for 10 minutes and immediately start thinking about what I could add on to it, I know you've had to have one thought or one maybe idea that you kind of want to go out there, but it might be a little bit too extreme. I'm not afraid to test something. Um, you know, the great thing about it is that I, I can go do it if I have those thoughts. Um, you know, I would say something where we've gotten really you know, kind of crazy is, is talking about desserts. You know, we're not t typically a dessert truck, but, you know, most trucks carry desserts. So we've kind of talked about what, what would we put on the truck? And um, we've come up with some crazy ideas like, <laughs> uh, you know, red velvet funnel cake and some other kind of really interesting um ideas I, I honestly don't know um anything that we've wanted to do we usually put it on there uh and it may fail it may flop and people may say that's that's not good <laughs> but uh we'll just take it right back off you know no harm so would you say like i'm trying to think because i'm trying to think of the like how hard would it be to make something vegan that is a dessert not hard not hard um for example a lot of desserts are based around dairy, dairy or egg. Um, when, you know, for example, we, tzatziki is a, is a sauce that's traditionally served with our products, and tzatziki is made from yogurt. That's a dairy item. Um, to make it vegan, we use coconut milk. And amazingly enough, if you whip up coconut milk and then put it in the fridge, let it cool, it thickens up like an ice cream or like a cream or some you know, like uh, some sort of dairy product. And so there's actually really natural ways to get the, pro the products you want. Um, and making things vegan is not as hard as people make it out to be. Uh, I just think that, you know, maybe some people are really um, not creative when it comes to kind of creating vegan items. And that's why it tastes like cardboard half the time. <laughs> trying to get over that, uh, that, that stigma. Especially trying to take someone out to a restaurant that's vegan my buddy's vegan and he we're sitting there 45 minutes he's asking her so many questions i'm like dude just get get the water the water's vegan i know the water's vegan that's all i know but there's a lot of different things like i know um i had a, someone on my podcast that was telling me about his trip to a strip club and he said that the stripper was using chocolate syrup or whatever but it was it was keto and i was like how the hell is that keto mm. You would think that like being on these health diets and stuff, they mean eliminating anything that would consider bad. I mean, chocolate's not exactly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, diets get, they're so strange. They're very trendy, right? Um, I remember, uh, what was it? The Atkins diet just a few years ago. Don't, don't eat protein. There's some really strange diets out there. And I don't think any of them are really that healthy. Uh, I think overall, the most effective diet is to be balanced. Just eat just about everything but just do it in balance um and i <laughs> people who cut out a certain item i think are their bodies need their systems they need a little bit of everything and if you cut out carbs I this mean, is this is where we see suppression it's gonna happen i'm telling people i'm a fitness freak don't cut out everything you love because you think that's going to make you healthy don't cut out you can have it occasionally but don't if you 100% like I'm going straight celery every single day, carrot juice, nothing else, no, nothing. I'm cutting off burgers, all that. You're going to throw your body into a weird state where it's going to, you're going to have a binge. You're going to freak out. And this is why we're seeing people that are turning into food bloggers and getting, you're literally getting off on the fact you get to see someone devour a Popeye's chicken sandwich. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, you saying that just reminded me a few years ago, my brother. My older brother, he was a uh, dental hygienist or uh, no, sorry, uh, a dental assistant. And I remember he started to do a juice diet. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat nothing but juice. I'm just going to drink juice. I was like, oh, man, that sounds like a bad idea. He's like, no, no, no. It's supposed to detox you and cleanse you out. I was like, all right, fine. 
he um he goes two days into it and i go visit him at the office and he's involuntarily shaking holding the dental tools uh for, for the dentist i'm like what's going on man he's like i haven't eaten anything except for juice in two days and i'm shaking and i will never forget that moment because that right there sums up <laughs> all of the crazy diets out there um how your body will break down into a state of shock um, if you cut out a single thing um i've been eating clean <laughs> for so long man cans of tuna and stuff it's been about seven years now when someone even uh, immediately, if I smell pizza, anything like that, I immediately, like, I want to fold that up like a taco and just devour it. Like mm. once I figured out that if you put oregano on your salad, and I will keep saying this, if you put oregano on your salad, it will make it taste like Domino's pizza crust. I don't care what anybody says. It is delicious. And it's the only thing that's gotten me from not ordering a pizza from Domino's. Hmm. I mean, whatever works for you. Well, I have to try that. I definitely think at some point there's probably going to be a diet out there that's going to be just air feeding you know like spongebob or you know that whole gasping for air you probably get some nutrients off of it i mean there was one a long time ago which is what's turning into now there was one where people could get the craving killed if they just watched someone eat something that's what we're seeing now we're seeing people put up an instagram post of them eating something and the next thing you know a bunch of people are like wow I love that. And that craving goes away for some reason. It's a weird shift that's going on in the world, man. I'm, I'm It's going to be crazy to see where it goes. Like, like a reaction video. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that is, is a bit strange. Um, some of the things you see out there. Uh, I think, I think it's just a phase. I think they will, they will come down from there. Does it, does, it, does it make you kind of question a little bit with the truck in general like is this just a phase do you think it, this is the time to strike really because now everyone's eating a lot health conscious do you think this is going to last you know um i do think it's going to last uh and you may ask me why based off of other health trends that have just failed because this one addresses something much deeper um you know when the atkins diet what was it about it was about losing weight well that's a yeah, that's a noble cause, but it, it's a selfish cause. Um, it's not something bigger than you. You're not being part of something bigger than you. You're just cutting out something for you. Um, when it comes to veganism as a growing trend, um, the UN released a report just late last year saying the world needs to shift towards veganism because the meat products out there, whether it be you know steak, red meat, uh, beef, or, or you know uh, overfishing. It's destroying the planet. So we need more people to eat plants for the safety of our world. And I think when you see stuff like that, when something is, is deeper than just, oh, I want to look better, it becomes a, uh, something bigger than yourself. And you want to attach yourself and say, I'm doing good for the world. Um, you know, if I, if I decide to you know, offer chicken or something on the truck, it's a stepping stone um, and a compromise versus putting red meat on the truck, which beef is, is known to be like the most, the most taxing on the environment as a uh, protein to eat. So we're just moving people towards a healthier, uh, you know, eco-friendly uh, lifestyle in general. I think people would get on board with that and it's here to stay. The future is at peril. Well, I really appreciate you, Grayson, coming out and doing my podcast, man. I want to give you kind of here a minute at the end to kind of promote your content, dude. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm, it's an absolute honor to be on here. Um, you know, so if people are interested in what we do, I uh, just want to learn more about what we do. Uh, you can go to tazameansfresh.com and Taza is spelled T-A-Z-A. Um, you can check us out on Instagram at Taza Means Fresh um, or on Facebook. Uh, you know, we're, we're still a, a, a young company, um, a grassroots company, and every bit of support helps us, helps the mission. Um, if you would, uh, if you're in the Charlotte area, I encourage you to come on out and, and try the products. Or if you're in the Georgia area, uh, you can email us, um, via some of the, you know, emails that are available on our, our website. And we love to point you to a restaurant that carries our products. So you can go out there and try it itself. Um, but if you're a food blogger, we'd love to work with you. And, um, if you're in the food industry, we'd love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, every, every direct message goes to, goes to us. Uh, we're still very much interconnected. So if there's any questions or anything like that, just please feel free to reach out.
yeah, when I reached out, I was like, there's no way it's going to hit these guys. And the next thing I know, I get a message. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I, I want I want to be in that sphere as long as I possibly can. No matter how big the business is, I want to be able to answer the direct questions. Because at the end of the day, um, I don't know if you've ever tried to get in touch with the companies nowadays. It's almost impossible. Yeah, you got to go through email. I'm like, look, I'm a millennial. I don't have an email. They're like, all right, well, uh, you can contact us through here by filling out a survey. I'm like, look, man. I am just trying to have a conversation. I don't have my passcode. I don't have my social security. I don't have my medical card. I'm sorry. Can we just get this going? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get a chat bot window open and, and, and talk to the chat bot. That, that kind of stuff drives me insane. So I, I will always be here answering questions. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.